Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're after a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are the natural selection. On today's show... What animal would you eat to take its superpower? Who's pickling quails? Who's oiling quails? (laughs) A Hokkaido-based company has a patent pending for its mechanical monster wolf. I'm ready. I reckon if you kicked an otter in a car park, you're in a good place. Yeah, that's true. I, as you know, have bought some poison dart frogs Mm -hmm. recently Mm -hmm. that live in a tank in my living room. Now I've been reading about the kind of biology of them because the first thing that anyone asks when I tell them that I've got poison dart frogs is, are they poisonous? Yeah. And you would think, well, yeah, of course they are. But it's not as simple as that. So they get their poison from what they eat. So Habanero chili peppers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the, the species that I've got, one particular species in that group, the golden dart frog, is the most poisonous animal on the planet. These are the Phylobates is the kind of genus. And I've got Phylobates vitatus. But then this Phylobates terribilis, which is the golden Good. dart frog, which is the most poisonous animal on earth but what i find fascinating about the dart frogs is that they only get it from what they're eating yes so the the dart frog is obviously eating these very toxic beetles and ants and termites and it's assuming it's taking on their highly toxic secretions and then it's working it into its own body i think the only logical question is what animal would you eat to take its superpower so this is great but i think something which needs to be worked out is are individually the ants and beetles like if i ate one of the ant or beetles would i die to the same level as if i ate the frog because if not then it becomes say i wanted the fury of a goose yeah (laughs) but the fury of a goose like would i have to eat like constantly eat 20 geese a day yeah to maintain it i have thought about this yeah and i think it has to be because (laughs) what we're talking about here when we're talking about the, the situation with the frogs is it is their diet so I'm saying this has to be an animal that you eat regularly. Because I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to have like whale sonar? Yeah. But you would literally, you have to go out, <laughs> catch and eat humpback whales or whatever to that extent. So then I was thinking, well, what's the nearest thing? Echolocation, bats. bats. But if 2020 has proved anything, it's that we don't, don't want eat to bats. eat too many yeah. bats. So then I was thinking like, what else? So it's got to be of a size that I can snack on it quite regularly, but with a cool enough superpower that I can absorb. The closest that I've got so far is geckos yeah. and the, the whole being able to climb up walls situation, yeah. which is very, very Spider-Man. And I would rather eat a gecko, I think, than a spider. And I think I could snack. There's some pretty small geckos out there that have got the ability to climb vertical glass. Yeah. So I feel like I could probably snack on geckos enough. Yeah. Immediate takeaway is that gecko climbing is infinitely better than the fury of a goose. <laughs> I had, when you said snack size, I went to jumping like a grasshopper. I don't know why, but do you get all of the things? Like, would I be able to fly? Would I be able to jump? No, well, because I thought about fly and I thought, well, we all kind of, we duck and stuff anyway. Yeah, and that's not working for us. So I, I don't think, I think it has to be more specific than just flight. I think it has to be something very specific you can get. But I mean, like, do you get all of, well, no, I mean, I oh, so guess. Like, with a gecko, can you climb up walls and also lick your own eyeballs? I had lick your own eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, or, or regrow. Well, we don't have tails, but regrow a. Can they? They can't no. regrow. They can't regrow a limb, can they? Well, axolotls can. Yeah, so that hey, so axolotls. that could be a great one. Yeah. So you could eat axolotls. You just got to eat them 
faster than they can grow back. If you're, <laughs> you're like biting an arm off it, you've got to eat the rest of it before the rest of it grows back. But or yeah, it's the perfect cool. one because you just need one and you just <laughs> snack on it and it constantly replaces. So great. it's the most sustainable superpower animal. <laughs> That's a great shout. I reckon rats, they're just survivors, aren't they? I suppose there's no there's no single power there. Tough. But they're tough. The first thing I went to was like the heightened senses. It was like a better sense of smell. And I'm like, I don't want to have to sit and eat dog every day. <laughs> oh, you know, a better sense of hearing. And then I, I'd be like having to, because you've got to source these. You've got to think about where you're getting them from. So like owls, like if I wanted a better sense of hearing, like where am I going to find enough owls? And then I've got to kill the owl and cook the owl. And <laughs> it just, it just, uh, it didn't sound worth the appeal of having super hearing. I was thinking about small animals that I know have got quite unique and specific. They're a bit too specific to be useful. The fact that water shrews have venomous saliva. But I thought, what, what am I going to do with venomous saliva? Yeah. Not much really. I think you've got to think of a real world application. Another one, pine martins got rotatable ankles so they can yeah. turn around and face the other way. Am I going to use that? I'm not going to use that. Am I going to use climbing walls like a gecko? Probably. Unlikely. We're both six foot four, <laughs> so I rarely have to reach anything. But it's only going to be for recreational purposes. You know? <laughs> so There's that guy who climbs like skyscrapers in France. Yes. Yeah, the, the, it's like the French Spider-Man or whatever they call it. Yeah, him. he'd be put out of job if we started it, eating geckos. He'd free climbs. I don't yeah. know what his job... Getting arrested most yeah, of the time yeah, I yeah, see yeah. That's generally what he does. Another thing when I was thinking about the, the poison and the frogs, what I find really interesting is how poison is measured. So, for example, the golden dart frog, which I have some stats for here, and they create a special kind of toxin, which is called batrachiotoxin or something like that, and it's secreted by this dart frog. But it's so potent that one milligram can kill 10,000 mice, 10 to 20 people, or two bull elephants. 10,000 mice? 10,000. Just ima- So first of all, imagine 10,000 mice and a milligram of this poison. Just imagine one how much space one milligram could kill 10,000 mice. That's what, one, one thousandth of a gram? Thousandth of a gram can kill 10,000 mice. 10 to 20 people. So that's 500 to 1,000 mice to a person that's the ratio yeah. there or two bull elephants so 10 people equal an elephant this is a very interesting take on the metric system they've done <laughs> where they've started with milligram and then they've come up with this like how many cats is that <laughs> why is it so overpowered what is it going to come across in its existence that requires that amount of toxin this is an animal that can fit very comfortably you could hold you know six in the palm of your hand and it's got this most ridiculous overpowered poison it's always measured the same with venom as well and Mm. you know poison the difference being poison is when you ingest something and you take on the toxins then whereas venom is something that can attack you and inject it and it's always stuff like the blue ringed octopus is a really good example yeah that can apparently it's got enough poison uh, enough venom i should say to kill 26 people that's very specific 26 not 27 yeah that's like 10 to 20 or 25 yeah 26. 26 people can be killed by a blue-ringed octopus. I suppose an octopus, though, it's more understandable because it's living in the sea where there are potentially larger things that want to do it harm. Like And also it's living in Australia, shot. which is just yeah. the, like the Premier League of exactly. shit that will yeah. fuck you up. That's 26 people or one Australian animal of any species. That, <laughs> that's the conversion rate. And the inland taipan? Inland taipan's 100 people. That's also, of course, in Australia. Which would be, it was 10 people to an elephant. So that's 10 elephants. Jesus, yeah. That's a lot. How many mice is that? That's like a million mice. That's a million mice. (laughs) So if you have a mouse problem, 
You just need a, a way of dispersing Taipan venom. Like an aerosol. Like if you could put it in one of those Febreze thingies that plugs into the wall. (laughs) If we're going to go into this business venture, do you want to know how to harvest the poison from a poison dart? Obviously. If you are making poison darts, Mm. because I've I've had a look at this and I have found a handy handy guide on how to do it. Good. So you can impale the frog with a piece of wood and hold it over a fire. Have we asked the frogs about this? Because I mean, no, the frogs, the fro- this is very much against the frog's will. My favorite thing about the description here is it goes, so you can either impale the frog on a piece of wood and ho- hold it over a fire, brackets, until the frog screams in pain. Unnecessary detail, I feel. <laughs> I feel like the person writing this wanted to say that. There's no, there's not, there's not a real need to say that. I feel like there's some history there. Um, so that causes... That the- guy hates frogs. <laughs> yeah, he really hates them. So that causes the poison to blister... Uh, on the frog's skin, and then the oh. darks. The darks can then be uh, talking now about the, the kind of arrowheads can then be touched to the skin, or the toxin can be collected and left to ferment. Um, or you could also spear a frog through the mouth and out through one of its hind legs, which causes it to produce so much poison that its skin turns to a, a white froth, which then the darts can be dipped in. That's so powerful that those darts will stay lethal for over a year. There's a couple things here. I don't know what to start with. One, imagine if that's how we got milk out of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know, I know that industrialized agriculture's got like questions, but equally, I think it's better than the kind of organic harvesting of poison dart poison. Yeah. Because um, yeah, if it was like, oh, come on, kids, we're going to the farmyard, and it's like, this is Daisy. Who wants to milk her? And then... It all comes out of the skin. Billy got chosen had to, like, spear the cow down the front, hold it over a fire, and then the milk it's just... Froths. <laughs> out of it. Great cappuccino. Great <laughs> cappuccino. It's just pre-frothed oh, coming out. Great. So that was one. Secondly was, how do they store the darts? I mean, I'm confident in saying the darts are very pointy. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also confident in assuming that they don't have perhaps Tupperware. <laughs> and in a society that would just have fabric, yeah, that creates incredibly pointy things that are deadly for over a year. Yeah, I was thinking the same because I was always thinking about the practicalities of gathering these frogs. Yeah, when touching them can be so deadly. Yeah, like how are they marigolds manipulated? <laughs> <laughs> marigolds would do the job. Yeah, maybe that's it. Because the thing is that the toxin when they firing about these blowpipes at the animals that they're hunting it's so fast acting that literally within the time it's hit the animal and gone into it the paralysis is instant the toxin is ferociously powerful that's so bonkers yeah like it's so bonkers and that it can stay that potent for up to a year so how did they work out how did they work who what so you're we're we're pre frog harvesting being invented yeah and we're going about the place and I see you eat a frog and immediately die. And then I think, huh. <laughs> then, then what you're saying is you're going, you see me eat a frog and die. Your thought process is then, how can I get that toxin into something I want to eat? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's what you think. Because I, I don't understand how uh, you then go about eating the thing that you shot with a blow dart that's tipped with poison. Yeah. Are they not then, because if the frog is completely poisonous because it eats the ants then surely if a bit of poison goes in the monkey then the whole monkey becomes bad so i'm not entirely sure about how that no we don't know a lot here we don't but we know how to harvest frog we do poison. know how, yeah we know how to harvest harvest oh 
last point is that that's all very grim harvesting dart frog poison but the golden dart frog the really really mm. really really poisonous one mm. is so toxic that um it's powerful enough to do it while the frog is still alive so all you all you have to do is take what, what just look at it. <laughs> all, all you have to do, yeah, is introduce it to a to a dart, a dart. to what you want to eat. <laughs> you just skip the dart. You just keep it in a jar, and you go around the forest. And it's like, excuse me, can I introduce you? Oh, and you're dead. Thank have you. you. Met Tim. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Have yeah. a beetle. That's that'd poison. be a very good symbiote. That'd be a great like from the frog's perspective to be so dead carried around in a. In a little jar yeah. with a leaf and a twig. Because the thing is as well is that a lot of these dart frogs are endangered and they're not doing very well. Yeah. But <laughs> if they could develop some kind of mutualism where they are giving out their poison. Just sort of some kind of shared working yeah. space. A we work. So then I kept reading about poison. Um, because this particular poison that is found in the dart frogs is also found in some birds. What? Yeah. So in New Guinea, yep. there are the, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Pitohuis. I've never heard of this bird before in my life, but there's a group of birds called the Pitohuis. The blue-capped Ifrita and the Rufus Shrike Thrush from New yep. Guinea all sequester this the same toxin into their skin. And it's probably from the same, you know, it's probably because they're eating similar things, but Beatles. they've been able to weaponize it to put it into their own skin. But the most surprising thing I found, quail also have this ability to be poisonous based on what they eat. Right. There's so much to unpack. But before we get like when, because the frogs, the frogs are famously like neon. Yeah. And hop about the place and it's like, eat me and die. Yeah. So are the birds? Yeah. So the the birds are very similar, especially the pitahui things. They're um, really bright. When you think of poisonous things, it is like fish, things without backbones, frogs. To think of something yeah. feathered. Yeah. It just it, it seems really odd. Yeah. And and that's why the quail thing surprised me even more. So there's apparently something called coturnism, C O T U R N I S M. Coturnism. I've decided as of right now. That I fucking love quail facts. <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't even so, heard it yet. So and this might go. be my first one. So, but. Caternism is a name for muscle tenderness or muscle cell breakdown as a response to eating quail. Okay? So, this is very mysterious. No one really quite understands what's going on here. But whatever toxin is being sequestered or being consumed by people. Wait, question. Yeah. Is this. New Guinea quail or all quail? This is common quail that we have here in Britain and across right. Europe. Right. And they migrate from Africa. That's very key that they migrate from Africa. Okay. So this toxin, this mysterious toxin that is found in common quail is known to persist for up to four months in quail that have been pickled uh, and can also be... <laughs> <laughs> and can also be infused into potatoes that have been cooked with quail oil. So be careful how you use it sparingly. Well, I mean, there's so many... Who's pickling quails? Who's oiling quails? <laughs> never, I've never I've quail. never I've never read a recipe. I've had like rapeseed oil, olive oil, sunflower oil. I've never even known it to be an option. A tablespoon of quail, quail oil, oil to infuse your potatoes. So, the bizarre thing about this is it's very much kind of Russian roulette. Quail are never poisonous <laughs> outside the migration season. Okay, so when they're breeding or wintering, yeah, in winter or spring, they are 
not poisonous. And the vast majority of them aren't poisonous on migration, but some are. Oh my God. So they migrate from Africa, like I said, and they come up to Europe. Where, if they come the route, the Western route, which is Algeria to France, that's associated with poisonings only in the spring, but not in the autumn. Whereas the Eastern fly route, which funnels down the Nile, is the reverse. You only get poisoned if you eat quail there in the autumn and not the spring. And only before the quail have crossed the Mediterranean. So if you're in northern Africa and you're eating the quail that have just come over in the autumn, you'll be fine. So hang on. Do the quail go up one side and down the other? No. So these are basically, you've got all the quail in Africa. <clears throat> yeah. And when they migrate to Europe, some because go they're spread across west, the entire Euro- uh, yeah, the entire kind of European continent, some okay. of them take different fly routes. And there's also a central route that goes through Italy, and there's been never any recordings of poisonings there. The ancient Greeks have described this. The Romans have described this. But now we don't really harvest quail to eat anymore, certainly not on the same kind of scale for this to become still a modern phenomenon so it's died out before we've ever understood it and that's the story of the poisonous quail but the but that's the greatest quail cliffhanger ever because it's the fact that for some like random period of history so are they still are we just not testing them no i think it's the fact that we're not eating them anymore so it's the fact that people still eat quail but the quail that this is the wild migratory common quail so Uh, most of the quail you know lots of people eat quail or quail eggs but they're farmed exactly so we're talking about the wild common quail that migrates from europe to africa and it's somewhere along that route in living in its wild state that it's picking up these toxins yeah so no so so the theory so who was the last person to get poisoned by a quail (laughs) i don't don't know (laughs) but is it like greek time no so it's much more recent than that so i saw i saw a stat somewhere that i think it was like in the early 1900s something like 150,000 squail squail (laughs) quail were exported the squail the squail that's the most poisonous one yeah were exported from Italy. So they were still eating huge volumes of them relatively recently. And it's been put down to what the quail is eating. And it's been attributed to like hellebore seeds or hemlock seeds. And it must be something to do with the diet of these birds in certain areas that makes their flesh poisonous. How many quail do you need to eat like some of some of them aren't poisonous i should say i don't know that anyone's ever died of this uh, i should say you get ill okay and it cr- it causes muscle tenderness or muscle cell breakdown but i don't know whether this is a fatal thing we're not talking about like the same level of poison as a dart frog but we're talking about the fact that you can be made quite ill by eating quail can you get high on them like well, probably well, not no, unless but, you get high on muscle tenderness well or... no but like some so there are some frogs that they're looking into to be a replacement for like morphine because the poisons that they secrete are like a hundred thousand times more powerful as a painkiller obviously when you like you know jiggle it around in a lab and it doesn't just kill you instantly is that yeah, the next maybe some of those like poisonous birds maybe we should organize a trip to New Guinea, New Guinea and round up a few blue-capped ifritas. Or the, or the shrike. Or the shrike, shrike thrush, thrush. The rufous shrike thrush. Whack them in a blender. See what happens. Rufous shrike thrush sounds like a condition. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear the last thing I found on my deep dive into poison? 100%. I'm just thinking if I have any last quail-based questions, no. Okay. This was then, having read about poisonous animals, this was then going into animals that are resistant to poison and venom 
and ah. all that stuff. And the lesser spotted <laughs> quail eater. <laughs> <laughs> no, Italians. <laughs> they never it. died. They never. No, there was never any poison. Ah. We've cracked okay. it. We've cracked the, the case <laughs> of the mysterious quail. So one poison that I'd not considered is, of course, alcohol. Yep. Let me introduce you to the pentailed tree shrew of Malaysia. Pleasure. Which How is do you the do? only mammal, other than some humans, of course, that consume alcohol every night. Okay. What? And they spend several hours a night consuming fermented nectar of the Burton palm. Some of my friends are definitely pentailed tree shrews. The alcohol content of this nectar yeah. is 3.8%. What? And by the time they finished, on a nightly, this is every night, by the time they finished going out foraging, they've consumed the equivalent of 10 to 12 glasses of wine. Oh my God, every these shrews night. go hard. And this, is, I... this is a shrew, once again, that like if you had it in your hand, would maybe stretch from your kind of fingertip to your uh, the kind of back of your palm. Wait, hang on. 10 to 12, like... Like 10 to 12 human glasses of wine. Yeah, yeah. well, not like shrew glasses. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I thought it was some kind of like scaled equivalent things. But you're no, telling no. me a shrew the size of your hand is having, that's going to be like two and a bit full bottles of red a night. Yeah. 10 to 12 glasses of wine every night and show zero sign of intoxication. So these shrews have basically become resistant to alcohol poisoning. They get what? hangovers. No. So I'm going to loop this back around to the question I asked you about what animal... If you had to eat it and get its superpower, pentail tree shrew is not a bad shout. If the superpower was no hangover, mm. if I could still get drunk and have no hangovers because of the shrew, I might eat quail. What if a pentail tree shrew ate a quail? I mean, it's the question we've all been <laughs> thinking. <laughs> so concludes my chat on poison. What if a pentail tree shrew ate a quail? Do you think anyone's ever said that sentence before? Okay, so we've decided to make a bit of a repeating segment for the podcast, which is spawned from, for those who don't know, me and Roddy spent some time in Madagascar on an expedition together. Mm-hmm. And while you're in these places, you spend a lot of time sat around, not doing much really, trying to pass the time. And one of the things we like to do was... Think about an animal, and we would hypothesize how many we'd be able to take in a fight. And we're going to revive that for the podcast. And it's going to be our way of doing a bit of an animal of the day, because each time we're going to choose a animal, we're going to very quickly run through what it is, through its features, and then we're going to come on to how many we think we'd be able to take in a fight. So, Roddy. I'm here. Number one. Let's go. So I put a question out on Instagram and told people to name an animal. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't tell them why they would be naming (laughs) said animal, but three people came back with the following suggestion. So Andy Summer and Rachel both came back with otter. Now, the tail of the tape for the otter. We're going to go with, we're going to assume it's a Eurasian otter, which is one we have here in the UK. Average weight, 7 to 12 kilograms. But some of the males can get to 17 kilograms, which is twice as heavy as a dashund. Oh, big boys. Yeah. I've, are we regularly measuring things in units of dashund from, for this <laughs> segment, just so I am no going forwards? From head to tail, probably about a metre long. But the biggest specimens, just under a metre and a half long. Now, the weapons, of course. We've got to think about the weapons in this scenario. Yeah. Obviously, for an otter, sharp teeth for hunting fish. They've also got claws that they use for digging halts. And I've written here, 
supreme aqua abilities. Because supreme. with an animal like an otter, I think we've got to think about the terrain yeah. that this battle's taking place in. Surely, like a marsh, and we just meet halfway. Okay, meet halfway. <laughs> now, before you give your answer, I did a quick search for any previous otter attacks. Ah. My word. You might want to hear this before you have your answer. They rarely attack, but apparently it happens, or it has happened, a number of times. Most of these are in America, so they're North American otters, but they're pretty comparable to the otter that we're going to be talking about, which is the Eurasian otter. So, in California, a family of otters attacked two teenage boys who were jumping off rocks into the reservoir when between three and five animals attacked them, chasing them down a narrow arm of the lake as they swam for the shore and they sustained injuries on their necks, legs, and feet. And in 2013, a woman from Montana claimed she needed eight stitches to her head after being attacked by an otter while tubing on the Madison River. But the most incredible is an eight-year-old boy and his grandmother were also attacked by a four-foot-long male otter while yep. swimming in a river in Washington State. The otter nearly killed the child and seriously injured the woman when she tried to prise it off him. This is a quote from the boy's great-uncle. The otter had him by the back of his head and was holding him down. The whole body was wrapped around him. Both the child and his grandmother were hospitalised and needed extensive medical treatment. Now, we on this podcast don't want to demonise any animal. We want to say healthy respect for these animals. But I'm going to fuck them up. But, Roddy, <laughs> in the scenario, the scenario is whatever number of otters you choose, it's a relentless wave of otters. Their only intention is to kill you. How many otters can you fight off? Ten. Ten otters. Ten otters. That's high. But here's the thing. Everyone you mentioned yeah. fought them on otter home turf. That's but true. as we know, Sun Tzu, the art of war, is make the enemy fight where you are better than the enemy. Which, <laughs> Yeah, so, so your tactic is obviously d to bring them out onto... If anything, I'm going to fight them in a Tesco's. Like, where <laughs> is an otter least familiar? Tesco car park. Tesco car park. Where, where do we think... One of the things I'm thinking here is otters long, however, low to the ground, right? Now, for example, raccoons. One of my concerns is raccoons climbing my legs, which yeah. I reckon is definitely within the realm of a raccoon's arsenal. Yeah. I don't think... This is dependent. If the otters are going to try climb me, mm. it's fewer otters. I don't, I don't think that's there. I don't think they'd be able to climb you. They're going to have webby hands, aren't but they? But they're going to... I think they can stand up quite tall. And if you've got a, an otter that biggest specimen's just under a metre and a half, so if you've got a metre and a half long otter that suddenly stands on its back legs, it's pretty high, but it's not climbing up, it's not going to get to your head. I think they've got sharp teeth. I think the ankle, the ankle, calf, thigh biting of an otter. Everyone you mentioned, though, just ran from them or tried to get away from them on otter. I reckon if you kicked an otter in a car park, you're in a good place. Yeah, that's true. I think you could get, because they're quite long, although they are low to the ground, I think you could get your foot right underneath them. Oh, hoof them. And I think you could fling an otter quite far away. Yeah. Okay, ten otters. Now, the fact that we were just given otter, I also thought we'd very quickly touch on the smallest and the largest species. Big otters and small otters. So European otters probably somewhere in the middle. The ones that you see at zoos, Asian short-clawed otters, mm -hmm. which are the smallest species, only about 75 centimetres long. Apparently about as heavy as a brick. I'm at least doubling 10 otters. Oh, yeah. I'm just swatting them aside. I think maybe up to 30. Yeah, I. It's interesting that you doubled 10 and got 30. <laughs> um, I... 30, that is... I think I'm 25. Okay. 
I think somewhere something's happening between twenty five and thirty in my head that I just That's think too many short clawed otters. I think yeah, too many short claws. Okay, so from the smallest otter to the biggest otter, big lads, the big Amazon giant river otters, yeah, can get to two point five meters long. Now that is longer than us, and they weigh the same as a Dalmatian. This otter weight system goes brick dash and Dalmatian. <laughs> An otter that weighs the same as a Dalmatian. Now, I think the, the thing here is they are massive. Like we are, well, we're almost two meters tall. Yeah. This is two and a half meters long. And when these stand on their back legs, they're up to your, well, at least your hip. Yeah, see, that that's real delicate level. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some things you want to protect that's, there. That's, that's a key area of defense for me. I... I'm going max two. Yeah. I think this is an animal that you can't just defeat with like a swift kick or a push. No. You've got to wrestle it. No. And as soon as you've got more than one, that's it. And max two is if I get past one, it's yeah. really going my way. Like I'm talking max, like 95% one, 5% if there's like a clean blow at one point. Yeah. Because you're right. If And the other thing is they're both going to stand up at, you know, delicate high. Yeah. And then you're going to have, you got to focus on one. And yeah, if you try and like jujitsu one of them and, you know, take its back, the other one's just going to be, it might only be one. It might only be one in all fairness. A I two, think maybe a one. A two and a half meter otter. You're talking. That's seven, seven or eight feet. feet. Which it always sounds scarier when you put it into the height of what we measure people in. Yeah. And imagine an otter that yeah, big. Jesus, actually, that's horrific. <laughs> an otter. Tallest guy I know is six foot nine. And to think there's an otter <laughs> over a foot bigger than him. Why does it need to be that big? What fish is it eating? Well, I mean, they're the ones that can eat baby caiman and stuff. I reckon they eat whatever they please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 2020 has been a difficult year for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons in Japan has seen an increase in the number of bear conflicts. So between April and September in 2020, wild bears have been spotted more times in Japan than in the last five years. And in some of the northern regions, it's been the highest number of reported bear sightings in over a decade. Now, the reason why they think the oak trees have had a pretty bad year for producing acorns. So the lack of food is bringing bears in close contact with humans as they're looking for the food that we're leaving out or foraging from farmland. And rural depopulation, which is happening in Japan, but all across Europe as people move out of the countryside and into cities, is blurring the boundary between countryside and urban areas as small towns are being taken back by nature and allowing bears and things to come in. It could also be the fact that impacts of COVID and lockdowns have meant that bears have felt more comfortable coming into these areas. Now, the main issue that the bears are causing is damaging crops and causing a loss of income to farmers. Now, we here on the podcast are all about living harmoniously with animals. And there's a lot of talk about rewilding the UK at the moment and whether we can live alongside things like lynx and wolves and potentially even bears again. So I think it's only right that we take a look at Japan and how it's tackling living alongside a large predator like a bear. Mm. Because a Hokkaido-based company has a patent pending for its mechanical monster wolf. I'm ready. I'm going to show you a picture of the monster wolf and I would like you to um, describe it to the listeners. The monster wolf is their way of combating the bears. Wow. Okay. Wow. A lot to consider. My most immediate thing is if I saw that, I would not say wolf. Okay, what does it look like? Let's describe it. It looks like someone has... Do you know when you, you wash your bed sheets 
and you go to hang them on. Have you, have you got one of those like clothes racks that kind of like accordions out? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. like folds down flat and then it's like a zigzag kind of going and then up. And it springs up. Yeah. And then normally you put your clothes on the things, but there's a bed sheet. You put the whole bed sheet or like a whole towel over it. So yeah. you've got this like wiry metal frame with just an excess of fabric over it. And you can see the frame kind of sticking out. and the... Yeah. So that's the body of it. And then the head of it is the worst Halloween mask I've ever seen in my life. Like werewolf style. Yeah, were- werewolf-esque, but the material is like Poundland, were they latex masks, rubber masks? Yeah. I don't know, but that kind of, where also, where there's like a design printed on the mask, but the paint job doesn't, you know, it's, it's clearly mass produced with a design and then sent to another machine to spray the paint on. It doesn't line up. So the eye is slightly, yeah. is painted, not where the eye is designed on the it's got glowing red eyes as well but it's uh (laughs) well it's quite a thing but this thing stands around two and a half feet tall and it's about four feet long it's got glowing red eyes lots of fake fur bad teeth and when the motion sensor is triggered it moves its neck around and emit a variety of sounds at a very high volume so up to 90 decibels a noise that can travel about a kilometer with over 60 types of sounds available including gunshots wolf howls and human voices which bears and other animals therefore cannot become accustomed to because they change it so many times that to me sounds like it didn't need any of the wolf body to function as intended so this is the thing <laughs> like, <laughs> like what they've done is they've got an ipod dock with 90 sounds on it because let's be honest the way it looks it's not fooling a bear and the wolves even predate bears i can't imagine the only the... conflicts i know between the two always end up with the bears coming out on top I think most conflict involving bear and other end with the bear coming out on top. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't need to look like a wolf at all. I mean, it doesn't look, it like, doesn't a look like a wolf. It doesn't at look all. like a wolf at all. It doesn't need to look like a wolf. Separate statement. It doesn't look like a wolf. Final statement. It doesn't need to look like what they've made it look like at all. It could literally be an iPod dock in a field and a sensor. But apparently it's working because they've been around since 2016. Although the company are trying to patent them now, they've been around since 2016 and they've been used to uh, protect farmland and crops. And there's now around 70 being used around the country with huge success. Hiroki Kondo, a city official, has said that there have been no bear sightings since the robo wolves began prowling. Or prowling, like stood in a field. Yeah, okay. I was about to, do they move? No, I mean, their neck moves around. Right. And they, it's not like a and Roomba. They, and human voices come out of them. But it's not, yeah. yeah. So it's not even like one of those lawn mowers which mows your lawn with GPS and it just goes around it your garden. The best. No, it's the most Japanese response to something ever is we're going to build a fighting robot. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to build a fighting robot to tackle this issue. 